Good evening, everybody. My name is Vincenzo Redazzo. I'm on the core team or, or board for Vespers of Lords. And uh, on behalf of Father Daniel Griffith and all of us uh, who put together Vespers at Lords, many of whom do a lot more than I do, so in uh, Thanksgiving for them, uh, on behalf of all of them, we welcome you here. We at Vespers at Lords are young professionals heeding our Lord's call to sanctify the secular and evangelize the world. One of our overarching goals is to not only show that the Catholic way of understanding reality and living life is a coherent and is is coherent and life-giving, but to give young professionals a better idea of how to live the Catholic vision for a holy lay secular life. In doing so, we aspire to offer an evening of substance and community that co that corresponds to the ex expectations of young professionals living in the Twin Cities. Tonight's speaker is His Excellency Archbishop Bernard Hebda. I have the great privilege of, uh, of introducing him. I think that I've been at many events where they introduce Archbishop, and so uh, I could do the same thing they do and talk about how he speaks four languages, or how he got his bachelor's degree at Harvard, and then got his year's doctorate at Columbia, and then lived in Rome for 18 years, and... Uh, uh, was coadjutor bishop of Newark. Of course, that was after he was a uh, bishop of Gaylord, Michigan. Michigan, the state I'm from, I know that Gaylord, Michigan, that archdiocese covers the most beautiful area of Michigan. Uh, there's about five Catholics, I think, there, though. <laughs> I left there four. <laughs> I think it's fitting that Archbishop is here today. This is, uh, I think, the, it's the oldest parish in the Twin Cities proper. And... Uh, Certainly in Minneapolis, and it was on these banks that Father Louis Hennepin, you see this image here, preached to the Lakota Indians. And in many ways, uh, Louis, Hennepin, Louis Hennepin, of course, uh, um, a great figure in, uh, in this archdiocese, and, and now we have our 13th archbishop, who uh, will go down in history with this archdiocese as well. And in many ways, I think that it's fitting that Archbishop is here because we, the young people, the young adults in Minneapolis are in many ways a kind of new generation to preach to, to evangelize, and to send out. Uh, I thought it was beautiful at uh, evening prayer today how we pray that, that the Lord would send laborers into the vineyard. And this is what our shepherd does as, as a kind of a vicar in the place of our Lord. Here are uh, our successor uh, of the apostles uh, in, the in the apostolic succession will call us out and send us out the same way missionaries would. And so uh, we, the young people, we welcome you, Archbishop. We're so grateful for you to be here. And uh, so without further ado, we w welcome uh, Archbishop Bernard Hebda. It's always nice when it's one of your employees who introduces you because you know it's not going to be anything awful. <laughs> Thank you, Enzo, very much. It, it really is a, a pleasure to be here. and I was pitched a little bit of a softball here in terms of what I should speak about this evening. and It was really about what is it that I'm expecting 
from young people like you in the life of this church. And so I'm going to sound a little bit demanding tonight, huh? but it's also a way in which I'm able to give you my, my, my wish list here for what it is that I hope um, that I, I can expect from, from you who are, have already expressed some commitment uh, to the church. First of all, just to, once again to reaffirm what I said it, at uh, Vespers, uh, that you really are a cause for rejoicing. Huh? How great this is to have so many people who would be willing to support one another in going deeper in the faith. So I, I encourage you to, to continue that. And to have such great appetizers makes it even better. Huh? <laughs> but my, the first, um, my first dream for all of you is that you might zealously participate in parish life. Huh? So whether it's this parish or whether it's the parish where you closer to where you live, but that you would really invest yourselves in that parish. Last year, I had the opportunity, before I was the Archbishop, uh, to conduct some listening sessions around the diocese. And, and one of the common themes was that people were very concerned um, that they didn't see young people in church. It would warm their hearts if they, had, if they were here tonight, if they heard you sing, if they heard you pray. My, my mother, um, when I was working in Pittsburgh, at a parish, when I would have my day off, I'd always say, Mom, what would you like to do today? And she'd say, let's drive down to Steubenville. And we would go for the noon mass, and my mother, it would, it would just buoy her spirits because she said, I look around at our parish and it's all gray hair. And I wonder where are the young people? And then just having that encounter with you know, my mother, there's nobody that was more excited about long lines in the confessional at Steubenville than my mother. <laughs> she would always come back with, there were 14 people waiting. <laughs> but I can tell you, there are so many people in this archdiocese that are concerned about the fact that we're losing young people. And if you're able to make yourselves present in our parishes, I think that's going to have a wonderful impact uh, that really also, in, in so many ways, reactivates re, uh, or regenerates, uh, rejuvenates so many of our parishioners. You know, one of the things that uh, our parishioners worry about, and those who have been so faithful, who's going to take up the, the oar when they want to they retire or to step down? Huh? And, uh, and so just knowing that you're there, knowing that you're willing to that you, you share their faith, that you share their dreams, is something that's really important. I think that a, a little bit, our young people are probably less inclined to join. Huh? I, I, I was blessed when I was working in Pittsburgh. I was at a, a merged parish on the south side of Pittsburgh, which is a little bit like this area. Huh? So we had a lot of young people who were there. We had very few people who belonged actually on the rolls of the parish. Huh? But they would come to church. We were always grateful for them. But really to have people that really want to make that commitment to see the parish as where the rubber hits the road for us as Catholics. Now, I also understand that that's not always easy. So often it's those same um, older people 
who, who wonder who's going to uh, take up the reins when they retire, they're the ones who don't want to give up the reins either. I understand that. <laughs> huh? And so that's the little bit of the challenge that I give to you tonight is that you be intentional about it, that you support one another in, in finding ways of making your presence known in the parish. Huh? And uh, whether it be on the parish council where you can bring you know, great insights, uh, whether it be in, in helping with communications in a parish where you, you have an, a, a way of doing that that um, those of another generation could only dream about, huh? um, whether it be in, in doing some things with youth or with young adults, you really have the possibility of making a huge contribution at our parishes. And so that's really the, the first thing that I would ask of you. You know, I'm, I'm, my training is as a canon lawyer, so we like things that are black and white. And in the old days, you know, you belonged wherever you lived. So it, it, that was really important that you would have that kind of a connection. Now we're much more fluid with that. And we uh, certainly here in the archdiocese, there are you know, destination parishes. So you, there's an, you, you find a place where you're going to be nourished and, and you plant yourself there. And that's, that's fine. Huh? But I really encourage that you sink some of those roots, that that's going to be really important, and that you, you do it in an intentional way, and maybe um, with, you can find great support in numbers. So if, you, if you're able to get a few of you together to really engage in some of that work in a parish, that'll make a big difference. So that, that's the first area. The second is, and it's an expectation as well, is that you really continue to commit yourselves to growth in the faith. That's one of the, the worst things that can happen is for us to atrophy. Huh? This is what Satan wants the most, is that we don't continue to grow in our, in our knowledge of Christ, in our knowledge of his church, that somehow or another we're willing to just to be those mediocre Catholics. Huh? The fact that you are already so involved in, in, in striving to go deeper in your faith is such a great sign. And what I'm really asking you to do is just to, to continue that. Huh? So figure out how it is that you can do that. So whether it would be in book clubs, whether it would be in coffee circles, whether it would be in some of the um, movements that we have in the archdiocese, something like the Catholic Watchmen or wine or any of those kinds of things that are going to enrich you and to help you to grow in the faith. That's going to be incredibly important. In the joy of the gospel, uh, Pope Francis talks, as did um, Pope Benedict uh, very eloquently as well, about Lectio Divina, huh? so that we would uh, really come to uh, study scripture as a way of, of praying as well. And I think, especially for, for young people, that that has such great potential. And that would be one of the areas where I would challenge you. It's something that you're able to do even, even together or to even bring to your parishes. You know, there have been some wonderful, uh, I, I know Arch Archbishop Neinstead used to uh, lead a Lexio Divina group on Sunday nights. It's a wonderful way for people not only to come to encounter Jesus uh, more clearly in the scriptures, but it's a wonderful way to lift our hearts in prayer. 
and we, we begin to appreciate that rhythm that comes from um, God speaking to us in his word and our responding to him with our prayer, which is often really uh, rooted in the, in the scriptural text and using that same kind of language, that same kind of uh, uh, dialogue. And so I, I think that that's, that would be one of those areas where um, your impact would be great. So the first commitment is zealous participation in parish life. The second is ongoing commitment to growth in the faith. The third would be ongoing discernment of your vocation. And if you've already discerned it, living it out wholeheartedly. And that really means building your future on Christ, whatever that might be. And so that you're going to not only be, it's not only a question of your personal choice, what it is that you want to do in the world, but having that sense that it's Christ who's calling you to something. I think that if we we have a, a group of young people who are absolutely committed, who know that Christ has called them to a way of life, that that's going to really energize uh, the church. Now, I'm hoping that in a room like this, that of course we're going to get some priests and some nuns. That's, that's, that's certainly a hope of mine. But I can tell you that I'm really counting on those of you who, be, who are being called to married life to live that out with gusto. Um, my, uh, my family all lives in Florida. I have uh, three nieces and three nephews. And they're all young, surprisingly young. And my niece, when I, I had brought her to Rome for a trip, and she was in absolute awe when she saw a nun. She had never seen a nun, right? She had gone to Catholic school her whole life. But she had never actually seen a nun, let alone a nun in a habit. Huh? And for her, it, was, it, was, it really uh, caught her attention and her imagination as well. Now, the sad thing, um, my friends, is that there are people now who have never seen a Christ-centered marriage either. Huh? <laughs> and so for those of you who are, who are called to married life, huh, if you're able to put Christ as, at the center of your relationship, if you're able to have Christ as the glue that holds you together, Christ who challenges you to that real union, um, if you're able to not only do that, but also to give witness to that, I think you're going to have an incredible impact on the life of the church in this archdiocese. Huh? Uh, being willing to live out that vocation in an open way is something that's going to make people think about marriage in a new way. And, and unfortunately, I think that that's uh, really in, in jeopardy these days. So to the extent that you're able to commit yourselves to that, I think you can have a great impact there. For those of you who are already married and have started a family, I would say that the most important work that you can do is passing on the faith, making sure that your kids have an encounter with Christ, that you're teaching them, even from the time that they're little kids, that you're teaching them about Christ and to pray. So often we, we, we run into people like that who, who can speak about how their parents introduced them uh, to the Lord and to, and to the life of grace. 
and to pray. And we, there can almost be a jealousy that's there. And so for, for those of you who have already started families, to make that one of your priorities in doing that. Now, I know there, there are lots of different ways. We have lots of different um, prayer groups throughout the archdiocese, all kinds of different ways of approaching the Lord in prayer. But one of the um, ways that's really, uh, for, in terms of families, that's really impressed me. I don't know if you're familiar with the neocatechumenal way. But one of the things that they do, it's, it's a, priests aren't so often so thrilled about it because they all go to Mass on Saturday evenings. Huh? So that's part of the... But it's so that they can spend Sunday morning with their family. And so they spend some time with the Word. They spend some time praying their whole Sunday morning. But it's a beautiful way um, that they're able then to, to set out the whole week. But then also to, to help um, their children to grow in their love for Christ, their love for Scripture. Not everybody's going to be called to be part of the neocatechumenal way, but to imitate that kind of a, of a family approach uh, to prayer or to that encounter with Christ, I think is that, that's something that's, that's hugely uh, advantageous for us. And as we uh, you know, look to those challenges in the future, that if we're able to have kids who already know Christ, what what could we what what challenge could possibly come our way that we wouldn't be able to handle? So that that's part of the um, the responsibility that you'll have as Catholic parents is making sure that your kids are ready to meet those challenges because they know Christ and they know the strength that comes from Christ and that nothing is impossible with God. So zealous participation in parish life, ongoing commitment to growth in faith, discernment of vocation and living out vocation. The fourth area is one that certainly we hear so much from Pope Francis, and it's in terms of service. And, uh, you know, I spoke a little bit about some of the older people in the parish who are so committed to parish life, and, and they're involved in so many different things, and they're worried about what happens when they step back. But that's certainly uh, the case in service. And yet there's something in, in the young heart that really desires to serve. You know that better than I. Huh? I had the great privilege uh, for three years when I was the coadjutor in Newark of living a, in a college dorm at Seton Hall. Huh? So I, I got to know a little bit the rhythm of college life. Now obviously I was way older than it everybody else on my corridor, huh? And uh, I, when, I, when I got there, the first night was Halloween night, was the night I showed up there, huh? The president of the university was just panicking, you know, he didn't know what I was going to encounter. I think they had threatened everybody on my floor, huh? But I, I knew that things had changed since I was in college because they had the Ten Commandments of dorm life not too far from the door to my apartment. Huh? And commandment number three was, thou shalt not emerge into the corridor unless fully dressed. <laughs> that wasn't one of the commandments that I had ever learned. It was a, a, something that was pretty clear to me, so there was no threat there, huh? but nonetheless. But anyways, one of the things that I really uh, came to appreciate on the college campus was how deep is the desire our young people have to serve. Huh? 
And so no matter what somebody's faith background was like, every year when they would have the act, or every semester when they would have an activities fair, the first activities to be filled up were the service opportunities. So whether it be, you know, the urban plunge type of a service project or a mission work in, in South America or in Haiti or whatever it was going to be, if there were an opportunity for service, our, the young people really responded to that. And so I, my challenge to you is that in the midst of your busy lives, and I know that as you're trying to you know, begin families or as you're, you're trying to make a name for yourselves it, at work or, or, or get to that comfort level, huh, that you don't uh, give up on the service aspect. Because as, as Pope Francis would tell us, it's in that encounter with the, those in need um, that we have a privileged opportunity to encounter Christ. So he made some eyebrows go up not too long ago when he, he spoke about that we should genuflect in the presence of the poor. Huh? I thought about that a little bit tonight, even when we were in Eucharistic adoration. In those years that I was in Rome, at least as a priest, so 13 of those years, I often um, would be called upon to help the missionaries of charity, Mother Teresa's uh, sisters. And, you know, we have them right here in Minneapolis. But they have in their version of the divine praises. Now, this, the sisters obviously got permission for that, right? So after they go through, blessed be Jesus in the most blessed sacrament of the altar, Blessed be Jesus in the poorest of the poor. So the wonderful connection between the service that they embraced in their vocation and, and the Jesus that they adored in the Blessed Sacrament. So I, I, I think that in, in spite of the fact that you're so busy and that you have so many things that are on your plate, so many wonderful things, that you don't want to let go of that service especially of the poor and the needy, because when we let go of that, then we miss that opportunity to encounter Christ, as Mother Teresa would say, in the distressing disguise of the poor. I, can t I have some guilt feelings about that, some recollection. When I was first working as a lawyer, there's such pressure for your billable hours. And so I just spent so much time, and I... I, I, I wasted time, <laughs> and so to try to make sure that I would have enough hours, I, I worked nonstop, and then I had no opportunity to do those kinds of things that are that really nourish the soul, and that also would have given me an opportunity to serve others. So you can certainly do things like pro bono work, and I, I embrace that. Huh? But that kind of, uh, of of service, direct service of the poor is something that really in, in, uh, gives us that opportunity to grow in our faith. And so I would, I would encourage you, so even with your busyness at work, even with, um, you know, as, as you're navigating through relationships, whether it be dating or in, in, in marriage, um, that you nonetheless uh, find those opportunities for service. And especially for those of you in relationships or married, to be able to do some of those things together is is priceless. I've I had the opportunity. I'm not. Uh, I I don't do it nearly as often as I should. But you know they, they they drag in the bishop around Thanksgiving and and Christmas to you know work at the Dorothy Day Center 
I'm really good at carrying trays. That's about all I can do. <laughs> but when you see the families that are there and you hear some of the stories of couples saying, we've been doing this for 20 years. Huh? And, and you know that it's something, you know, we always look for what's that glue that's going to help a couple stay together. And often it's that kind of service. So that would be the, the fourth area that I would really encourage you for. And the fifth is something that I think is already part of your group here and part of your, uh, uh, your own desires. And that's joyful evangelization, especially of, of your peers huh? and of your colleagues. It's not easy to go about that work of sharing the faith, um, but I think that it's, it's crucial um, that you do that. Huh? And so part of it is just going to be through witness and being able to, to, to share with others your experience. You know, when I remember when both when I was in law school and then when I was uh, working as a lawyer, the last thing I wanted anybody to know was that I was religious. Huh? And um, you can do a lot better than that. Huh? When I was in law school, I started going to Mass every day. And um, one of the reasons why I was able to do it is because if I raced out of my last class in the morning, I could get to Mass and be in the lunch line without anybody ever knowing I had done anything. Huh? <laughs> and so I didn't, nobody had to know that I was going to Mass every day. Huh? Not that that's something that you would necessarily trumpet, but I never shared that part of my life. And when I was, um, even when I, I got to the point where I was going to be taking a leave from my law firm, uh, to enter seminary, um, everybody was shocked, not that I was going into the seminary, but they didn't even know that, I, that there was a faith dimension to my life. Huh? What, what a terrible indictment was that. Huh? But I, I've thought about that always since then, and how important it is that we, that we share that part of our life, even with our, with, uh, with our colleagues, uh, but most especially um, with our, our peers. You know, we have to allow people to know what is the, what is the cause of our rejoicing, what gives meaning to our lives, and uh, have that confidence that comes from knowing that that's what Christ is asking of us, that he's counting on us uh, to bring the gospel to others. Here in the Twin Cities, we're so blessed to already have a culture that supports that in some ways. So maybe even some of you were involved with Net Ministries or St. Paul's Outreach or Focus, those groups that, that, that help us uh, to learn how to evangelize our peers. Huh? But it's, it's crucial that we do that. And in some ways, your involvement in, in this type of a group already shows an affinity for that mission. Huh? But I would encourage you to be able to do it in a way that's joyful. So in, our, in the, the reading that we heard from St. Peter today, he was able to point out a cause for rejoicing. Huh? And so I think that idea of being able to, to be joyful in the midst of our challenges is something that's going to stand out. So it's not, it's not surprising to me that the, the first topic that Pope Francis would have addressed, now granted there had been a synod, that was on the joy of the gospel. Huh? So that he understands that it's that joy that's going to give credibility as we try to share the gospel in whatever way um, we're able to do that. 
And so really to, to, to consider um, what, are, what, what are the sources of joy in my life? I think when Pope Francis um, uh, called us to that year of mercy, which was a wonderful way of getting us to embrace the spiritual and corporal works of mercy, but it was also intended so that we have such an intense experience of God's mercy that we're then joyful about that. When we know what God has done for us, we're bound to be joyful because there's, there's nothing that's deserved uh, it's it's all free gift from God, and that that really inspires us uh, to joy. I know that a number of, of priests and the deacon who are gathered here today uh, all share a, a great devotion that I have to Saint Philip Neri. And those of you who had spent time at Rome might have found your way to Chiesa Nuova, uh, where you have that wonderful example of the Apostle of Rome, who's also such a great apostle of joy. And so he, he really understood that joy was something that was really going to have an impact in the work of evangelization. And he was particularly interested in evangelizing uh, young people of your age. Huh? So he, and he lived at a, at a time when there was great decadence in Rome and a real need for renewal. And one of the things is, um, as he reached out to people of your age, he, he tried to engender in them that joy of the gospel, certainly um, radiating joy from his own heart in a way that was authentic, right? So nobody wants uh, a, a very shallow joy, uh, just a, a Pollyanna-ish facade. Huh? But to find a real joy in somebody's heart, and that's what's there when we, when we really know what God has done for us, is something that's going to attract them. Which, which of your peers doesn't want to have real joy in their lives? Everybody desires that. Huh? So if you're able to, to find that source of joy in your own life, and obviously that's going to be Christ, and then to be willing to share that, that's going to be something that's going to attract people to Christ and then to our church. Huh? We celebrated just at the end of January the Feast of St. Francis de Sales, and you know, one of the things that he had said is we can attract more flies with honey than with vinegar. Huh? And once again, it's that idea of joy. But then I kept thinking, why does anybody want to attract flies? Huh? <laughs> I don't understand that part of it. Huh? But nonetheless, the, the principle is there, right? That it's when we're able to joyfully speak about our relationship with Christ um, that we're going to be credible as we speak also about the cross, as we speak about the challenges in our lives, as we strive to be true to um, that moral fabric that we know has to be part of who we are. But that joy is something that's going to really help us as we strive to be evangelizers, most especially with our peers. As you can tell, I'm losing my voice here. So I'm going to shut up right now. Huh? <laughs> but does anybody have, and I know we're at the time limit too, huh? but does anybody have any questions or any comments, any observations other than the priests? <laughs> or deacon? Huh? Anybody have anything that they, that, any questions? Or, and it's fine if you don't. Huh? Good. Well, great. Yes. 
No, I, I can tell you, really, that those five things that I was talking about are all things where you would serve me. So if, if you're willing to do any of those five, huh, that's going to be something that has such a great benefit to the Archdiocese that it has a benefit to me. Now, in a, for those of you who are in this room, even your commitment to this group is a, is a great service to me because you're already doing many of those things, huh? So I, I, I think to the extent that you're able to, um, you know, to be supportive of one another in responding to the faith is really the, the thing that's going to help me the, the most. Now, for um, men, for example, you know, we have that Catholic Watchmen's movement that I, I think is, is, is poised to do some great things. So that could be something that you consider. Um, but... Really, even even just in the work that you're doing here, you continue that with great gusto, uh, with humility, putting Christ first. Um, that's something of great service to me. Huh? So thanks. Yes. So Your Excellency, uh, first off, I think you did surpass yourself yesterday. Uh -huh. So congratulations on that. That's so what happens when you set the bar really <laughs> low. <laughs> yesterday, I was at theology uh, on tap with the cathedral young adults. Huh? Um, so we know some people drink every night then. <laughs> Fridays are more penitential, I know. Yeah, 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 good. So, so you, you mentioned service and getting more involved with our parishes and whatnot. So, my question is, how does a person choose? I mean, there's so many different good things going on in this archdiocese. It's sort of like, how do I devote my time to just one? I mean, you know. Yep. So I think that's where uh, prayerful discernment comes in too, right? So um, I think to be asking the Lord, Lord, what is it that you want me to do with my time, with my desire to serve? He's going to show you that, huh? That also might, you know, for those of you who are in relationships, to do that in tandem, huh? So that you're, you're, you're jointly discerning that. But you're right, there are so many opportunities that are there uh, to find something that's going to tug at your heartstrings a little bit so that you're going to persevere in that as well. Huh? So not necessarily the area where there's the greatest uh, comfort zone, but something where, you, where you, you really hear the Lord asking you in your heart to do that. And you're right, we have plenty of opportunities for that in so many different ways. Just one ex example, when uh, the area in Newark that would be kind of similar to this area in Minneapolis is Hoboken. Huh? I don't know if any of you have ever lived in Hoboken, or, but there are just tons of young people there. Huh? And um, the parish that would kind of be the equivalent of Our Lady of Lourdes, their young people came together, and there were a lot of attorneys, a lot of people in communications and in advertising, all your age. And they said, what is it that we're able to do? And so they began a, a, a legal clinic for, um, for immigrants. And it's uh, fascinating. So part of it was 
the, those who were able to donate some of their, their legal expertise, but far more for those who were able to, uh, you know, pr promote it with, uh, because of their background in communications or in advertising or their ability to, to raise funds for it. Huh? But it's amazing when young people put their mind to something what they're able to do. Huh? So be creative in that as well. Thanks. Yes? Um, you mentioned that before you entered the seminary, um, not a lot of people knew that you were religious, even though you were attending Mass yep. every day. Um, in you know a community where sometimes it's difficult to strike the balance between telling people about your faith and you know, having it come off as you know Bible-thumping or evangelizing people, how do you go about trying to find that balance of not being ashamed of your faith, but at the same time um, not going around hitting people that have Bibles? Right. Great. I mean, I, I think that's a big question because there's still I still have a few bumps on my head, right, from people that did that. But part of it, I think, is being really authentic. So the the uh, Pope Francis, in terms of the advice he would be giving us, is to be simple in 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 how we do that. Huh? but to, to really lead with, with joy and with service. Huh? So if uh, people are going to ask you, they're gonna, if they see that joy in your heart, they're going to be asking you about that, right? So you don't have to necessarily even lead with that. And also with, that, with the service element, huh? that's something that, that in, in hum, humble service especially, I think that, that helps us to do that. But you know, just to be able to, to share even when asked, huh? I can tell you, I would have, I would have died rather than tell people that I was going to mass, huh? um, which is which is awful. Huh? And it was the you know much the same when I was that year I was working. I, I always tried. You know, I was so grateful that there were churches that had mass really early in the morning, so that I would still be able to be at, at my desk at the right time. You know, so um, but I, I think just when when you find those opportunities. Or really to have that as part of your, your prayer as well. Lord, give me those opportunities in my life to witness to you. Huh? And, and, and then when you examine your conscience at the end of the day, to look to see where the Lord gave you those opportunities and whether you took advantage of them or, or not. But I think if we're able to do it with humility, with joy, and with that spirit of service, I think people will respond to that much better. But it, it is, at the moment at least, we get blamed for all kinds of things just because we're religious. <laughs> you know, I, I understand that. Huh? Um, so it, it is a, a tight walk, a tightrope walk for sure. Huh? <coughs> anything else? Yes? Where does that fear come from to stand out, to, to share that you, you want to pass? Yeah, so I, I, I think a little bit, it's just that you, you never want to do anything where you're, you're going to seem different. Huh? I, I, not not you, me. <laughs> and, but, but that is one of the things that I think that is also uh, true sociologically of youth, right? So you find the way in which youth so quickly adapt to speech patterns and language, for example. Huh? You find how it is that there's such an attentiveness to, to dressing the way other people dress. Huh? So you want to... That, that's, that's part of... of, of being a, a young person, I think, or, or even having the same tattoos or the same piercings, right? We, we see that in our, in our, in our, even in, the, in our schools. Huh? And uh, so there is that desire not to stand out. But 
I think for me that was a little bit the, the fear that was there, and I wasn't in an environment that was particularly um, Catholic or particularly religious, and so um, I would I was a little bit sensitive to that. In in hindsight, um, I really wish that I had been more more open about um, what was going on in my heart, huh? um, and and I did. One of the interesting things was so when. When I actually left the law firm, I ended up finding out all these people who were Catholic that I never knew that they were Catholic either. Huh? And we could have been supportive of one another. We had, um, there was a, a, we had a very active uh, St. Thomas More Society on the diocesan level, but there was nobody else from my law firm. I was at the largest law firm in Pittsburgh and there was nobody else there that was involved with the Thomas More Society. But um, I think that it is a little bit of fear of being different. So I, I, I think I've overcome that. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> it took me a long time. <laughs> yes. You spoke earlier um, about the rise of these like so-called destination parishes yep. and sort of being in opposition to like tying one's rootedness and geographic proximity to the parish that they live in. What would you say to the young person who says that's that's all well and good, and I like this idea of going to my neighborhood parish and being in a community there, but when I go there, I feel like maybe there's not that much for me. You know, I, I go to this parish with thousands of families, and I'm the only young person, or, um, you know, the, the liturgy is uninspiring. There's not, you know, it, it just it feels like I'm going there looking in search of a community that doesn't exist. Right. So two, that's, I think that's an experience that's relatively common, huh? So that's where two things. First of all, I, I need you to be nourished. So you have to go somewhere where you're going to be nourished. So, and if you're not able to do that in, in the geographic territorial parish, then find somewhere where you are going to be nourished. But sink roots there. Huh? Um, on, but the other part of it was that you do have that ability to make a change. And so even when I was talking about with the law firm, you know, the fact that there might be other young people that or just like you in, in that territorial parish, and that when they go there, they don't see anybody. But if they saw you, <laughs> that might give them strength. Huh? And in the same way of, of how is it that you're, you know, as you bring your gifts um, to that parish, is that going to be something that's going to attract other young people as well? So like the music tonight, it was just extraordinary. Huh? You, you do such a, a, a lovely job. And it, you just realize that there are people in the pew that have great gifts that might not even be tapped. Huh? And so if, if, as you put forward those gifts, you might be able to make a real change in the way things go there. Huh? But that's why I also was saying, in terms of being intentional, you might want to plot a little bit so that a group of you kind of go out as, as pioneers, huh? And to plant yourselves into a, into a parish, huh? and it it can make all the all the difference. So even just having a small group of people who are committed to prayer, who are committed to the teachings of the church, um, who are really committed to fraternal support, that can really make a, a, a difference in a parish that's that's dead too. Huh? Yes. Um, for a lot of for most young people, I think 
that's a time in their lives when they're in transition, they're moving off for jobs, for school, yep. um, for various reasons. So what advice would you give somebody who is kind of in the mentality of, I don't, want, I don't know how to come into a parish if I'm going to, I don't know if I'm going to be there for another year. Yeah. So I would, I, one of the my strong points, and that's really where I led with the thing about parish life, I'm really convicted about that, that you, you have to make a, that's one of the places where you make your commitment to Christ. So whether it's the place where you're living or whether it's another, that even if it's just for a short, relatively short period of time, a year, that you say, this is my, my home, this is where I'm, I'm tied in huh, to Christ, and that you invest yourself there, even if you're going to move. And I, I know that, uh, that you know it's easier when there's a, that long-term commitment. Huh? Um, but for we we live in a world that's really transient. And if we always waited to that time when we knew that we were going to be um, in the place where, where we're going to spend a lot of time, we're we're really postponing our our commitment to the church. I think. Huh? So I would encourage you, even in those, you know, if, if you're if you know you're going to be in a place for a year. Make that kind of a commitment to find some place and sink some roots. Uh, thanks. Good, but that's a good question. Yes. How, um, what if people are hostile to yep. you because you're Catholic and they start telling you that's stupid? That I've literally had someone tell me to my face my confession is stupid. Um, just yeah. Sometimes it's I. I don't know how to handle that. Yeah. <laughs> just... No, so when you're getting that, that means that you're, you're united with Christ, right? Because that was his experience as well. That's been the experience of, of Catholic Christians from the beginning of, of time. So we respond to that with, we try to educate, we try to do that gently, we try to do that with humility, and with a sense of joy. So um, that's hard, you're, you're right, and that's why I think groups like this, where you're able to get some support, where you're able to learn more about your faith, uh, but most especially get that support uh, so that you don't think that you're crazy. Look around you and see all of these people huh, who, who understand the beauty of confession. Huh? So um, to have that and then to go into those difficult situations uh, gives you a better footing, I think. Huh? Father Dan, have I talked way too long? But, but thank you very much. I, I really do appreciate your And I've never before had orange, jasmine, and nutmeg. So that was really good. Thank you. Thank you to uh, Archbishop Hebda for his inspiring words. I'm going to just take a few... Uh, minutes before we uh, conclude, and you're all welcome to uh, to stay. Uh, some of you have meters, uh, and they're very <coughs> diligent about uh, uh, ticketing you. Uh, one of the things that I know the priests have seen and the and the laity here is we've seen the generosity of spirit of Archbishop Hebda, and he has literally been all around the archdiocese. And one of the things the Pope has talked about is creating a culture of encounter. Uh, and we encounter each other as human beings made in the image and likeness of Christ. And that's what Archbishop Hebda has done. I have a very brief, funny story. So last August, uh, I I'm here at Our Lady of Lourdes, and 
at St. Boniface's parochial administrator and also have an academic assignment at the law school. So I had a, a Saturday night where I had three different uh, things for each of those assignments. At 4 o'clock Mass at St. Boniface, 5 o'clock Mass at Our Lady of Lourdes, and then a dinner with a law school donor out in Deephaven. And I didn't even know where Deephaven was. <laughs> so I get done with uh, the, the Saturday night Mass here, and uh, I'm about to leave putting the address in my phone, and I get a rap on the window, and I'm kind of slightly annoyed because I'm already behind, and I look up, and it's Archbishop Hebda, and uh, he had parked uh, next to my car and was here for Polish Fest. And uh, he, he said, I, I hope it's okay to, to park here. He said, I put my pectoral cross on the dashboard so you wouldn't tow me. And, uh, so that's all right, Archbishop. But that's what we've seen is a, ge a generosity of spirit and creating here a, a culture of encounter. Uh, much like our, our Holy Father has called us to, and that is a cause uh, for rejoicing here uh, in the Archdiocese. So thank you to uh, Archbishop Hebda for his presence. I want to thank Christopher Ganza, our uh, choir master uh, and organist, for the wonderful work that he does. Uh, Chris has been a gift here and, uh, and, and came at a time when Vespers was, was beginning, and uh, that was no... Uh, no coincidence. That's what's uh, God's providence. So thank you. Thank you to the Vespers team. want to thank the priests who are here and have been. Uh, Fathers Hagen, Jaspers, and Howe. Thank you for all that you do. Uh, thank you to our deacon uh, tonight. I think I stole his chair. Uh, not on purpose. And then just a few announcements coming up. We have our 140th anniversary year, which is already underway. We aren't the oldest church in the Archdiocese, uh, but the oldest church in Minneapolis and continuous use. And, and a lot of the folks who are here who are parishioners are involved in their parish. I echo Archbishop Hebda's uh, uh, really exhortation to get involved in your parish. Uh, your pastors want your uh, gifts and your, your wonderful hearts. A uh, couple of things coming up. We have our Feast of Our Lady of Lourdes, which many of you know is February 11th. We're celebrating the feast on February 12th because that's when Bishop Cousins could be here. So he'll be here this Sunday, 11 o'clock Mass. You're all welcome uh, to help us celebrate. Uh, the thing that Deacon Winninger asked me to do is to invite some of you into a cohort. Uh, our parish is reading during Lent, Searching for and Maintaining Peace, a wonderful uh, little book uh, filled with Catholic wisdom from Father Jacques Philippe, uh, a Frenchman. And we're going we're gonna to read this, and we would love if some of you would volunteer to get into groups of 10 or 12 and enter into reading this and, and to dialogue. And I think, Isaac, uh, you volunteered, right? Where is he? He's, yeah, so, so if you, if you want to volunteer, talk to Isaac or somewhere, someone else. And then what we're doing this summer is we're going to go out and introduce ourselves and begin to evangelize. Uh, my classmate and good friend, Father Joseph Williams, has done this beautifully in, in South uh, Minneapolis, and we're going to start doing that with the Spirit's help here. Deepen our relationship with Christ, come together, and begin the work of evangelization. And one of the things they do in encountering is asking simply, is there anything you'd like us to pray for? Uh, we're, here we are, you know, we're from wherever. Uh, you're welcome uh, to join us. Uh, two other things, and, and we'll let you uh, continue the celebration. Uh, we have, on April 29th, uh, Lourdes Gala celebrating our 140th year, and we're going to be at the Artist Aloft, 
uh, right down the road. It's a great space, and we're having an after party for young adults uh, beginning around 9.30, 10. You'll have use of the, of the space. Uh, put it on your calendars. Uh, come join us. We're going to have music, and uh, the, the, our more venerable uh, parishioners and other folks will be there, and then we're going we're gonna to turn it over to you. So uh, April 29th, and uh, please join us. Final thing, uh, if, I, if I can be presumptuous to add one thing to the Archbishop's list, would be Our Lady, right? We are in the month of Our Lady of Lourdes, as, as Archbishop mentioned, at Vespers. Mary always leads us more deeply into the heart of her son, Jesus Christ. And uh, the Archbishop mentioned these wonderful saints. Uh, I would just add uh, Our Lady. Uh, and I know many of you already have that relationship with the Blessed Mother. Uh, it always bears fruit. Uh, so thanks for your presence here. Uh, God bless you. Thanks to Archbishop and all of you. And, uh, and one final thing, pray for the Archbishop. He's got a, he's got a tough job. He's doing it well. And uh, assist him with your, with your prayers. Thank you, Father Griffith. Thank you, uh, fathers who are here today. That does conclude our formal programming this evening. We'll be back next month, uh, Thursday, March 9th, with Vespers at 7.30 p.m. You can see more details on our website. Uh, if you parked in the ramp, please find Luke over here for a par parking voucher for two free hours of parking. Uh, we ask you to contribute $5 per month if you're able. We have uh, electronic... Uh, payment if you'd like over here. Finally, you can sign up on our email list uh, for our, our monthly reminders. Thank you again for coming. You're very welcome to stay longer. We have many um, uh, orange, nutmeg, pomegranate <laughs> sodas. They're all gone. Uh, <laughs> and for those of you who like to drink every night, we have. Uh, again, thank you for coming, and if I, if, if I could, Archbishop, would you mind giving us your final blessing? The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord, now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. And may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit descend upon you and remain with you always. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks be to God. Thank you.